Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Um, I'm okay. I managed to survive the anniversary, which was last week, of my dad's death. Um, that we talk about a lot on the show and it happened and I was okay. Um, yeah, it was okay this year. It wasn't so intense as last year, which was nice. But um, yeah, you know how it is, right guys? Never like the favourite moment of the year. Um, I'm also been watching Game of Thrones, so... That's definitely cheered things up. Game of Thrones back. Oh, so tense. Don't worry. No spoilers here. Um, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful responses to last week's episode with Felix White. I know it was a really intense and emotional episode. If you haven't listened to that already, I definitely recommend it. It's, yeah, definitely up there. I don't like saying favourites because I feel bad because, you know, all these people have died. I don't want to choose one. But um, I, I really enjoyed talking to Felix. It was really, really wonderful. And he was so open and emotional about a lot of stuff and yeah it's a, it's a really special episode so check that out um we have a live episode coming up uh on june the 6th at the Udderbelly festival i will be talking all things grief and death and funerals with jeff lloyd uh from the adrift podcast and reasons to be cheerful and camille you from birthday girls which recently just got nominated for the british podcast awards best comedy and i'll also be talking to josie long as well who's joined the panel very exciting so yeah uh, head to the Adderbelly Festival or the Griefcast Twitter to find out more information 
This week I'm talking to Canadian writer Taya Lim. Taya is the author of An Ocean of Minutes, which is out in paperback now. Uh, it was nominated for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, which is, as you'll hear, a very big deal in Canada. It's her debut novel and yeah, I, it is a really beautiful novel. Uh, it's not, as you'll hear, it's not about grief, perhaps in the sense that other writers I've talked to about, like a very personal story. It's it's definitely a novel um, version of that, but it, it definitely touches on a lot of the stuff we talk about, about loss and pain and emotion and grief. Grief, basically. Um, yeah, she's a really interesting woman and it's a fascinating read. I definitely recommend it. Taya came in to talk to me about all sorts of different forms of grief, but especially her father-in-law, Eugene. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer Taya Lim, who is the author of An Ocean of Minutes, which recently won what well got shortlisted for what did it what's the name it's of the award the, it's the Scotiabank Giller Prize so Scotia the, say that again the Taya Scotiabank Giller Prize Scotia, and that's yeah. equivalent you said like the man booker but in the if ca- the Cana- man booker was only Canadian only Canadian yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. a fancy name it is fancy Scotiabank yes. Giller yeah it's actually in, it, interesting actually has some connection I think to Griefcast because the prize was started by a fellow named Jack Rabinovich in uh, the mid 90s and the reason why it's called the Giller prizes because he named it for his late wife who uh, really loved books and literature. That is nice. Yeah. That's perfect. beautiful. Yeah. That's very perfect. Mm -hmm. Ocean of Minutes. So it came out quite recently. Is that right? In uh, in June in in the UK. In the UK. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. I am very fortunate to be well, actually, my husband got sent a copy and I borrowed his <laughs> copy. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. When um, when did you finish it? Because I know the publishing... Right, it takes a long time. Yeah. So I started, um, I didn't write it with a contract or an editor or an agent or anything like that. I sort wow. of trucked along on my own. And then it would have been late 2015 that wow. I started submitting it to agents wow. and, and found one just two or three weeks before my daughter was born in, in 2016. Wow. Yeah, and then that slowed me down slightly, just a wee bit. Yeah. Uh, so we wound up sending it out to publishers in early 2017, and then it came out uh, in June 2018. Wow. I know, it's a long journey for a book. It's not like well, other I think, forms. Yeah, yeah, people don't realize it is. Mm-hmm. Books and films move mm-hmm. very slowly. <laughs> yeah. That's why yeah. I like comedy, because you can just write it and perform it that night. Ooh. And be like, what, did that work? I should become a comedian. <laughs> yeah. It, well... I don't know. There's other negatives, but um, <laughs> the process is very fast and satisfying yes, in a way. Whereas yeah. I know books and films, like yeah, take yeah. take so long. Yes, yeah. and so the book is kind of it's sort of set in this world, but not. I think that's yeah, kind say. of an alternate world. Yeah, yeah. But definitely things that we all recognise. The world is our world. But there's yeah. been a, a pandemic. Yes, and. Well, do you want, you're probably going to sure. explain it better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> sort of relating to what you just said, I, I was interested in writing true science fiction. So right. I was sort of curious about what would it what would it really be like to time travel? You know, we yeah. tend to think of time travel as this sort of adventurous thing, but I thought, what would really be the things that would come along with it? But um, essentially, um, in the book, so it's 1981, um, and Polly decides to take a job elsewhere to get uh, medical care for her lover, Frank, who's deathly ill, because there has been a pandemic, as you said. Um but the thing that's a little bit different is that she's not going to take a job in another place. She's taking a job in another time. It's 12 years in the future. And uh, when she actually gets to the other side, um, she's even later than she thought she was going to be. It's been 17 years and yeah. she can't find Frank. So the novel is about her trying to find Frank, 
Um, but also it's about her determination to kind of recuperate this moment from her past, which to her doesn't feel like the past because it was just yesterday, yeah. but it's actually been 17 years. So she's trying to kind of make this thing that was in the past happen again, return to a moment, sort of bring it to life again. And she also comes across many other people who are doing the same thing in different ways. So yeah. it's sort of the novel is peopled by all these characters who are struggling to come to terms with something that they've lost, that they just cannot accept that it's no longer a part of their present. So obviously when reading it, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> this fits my brief. Um, because it's, yeah, Polly is a character who can't let go. And yes. I found that really interesting yeah. because um, in the book, you know, to her it seems like yesterday. And yeah. everyone else is kind of like, it was 17 years ago. Right. Right. Which I th- really related to is, so it's been 20 years since my dad died. Yeah. And I think traumatic things, if you haven't been through them, people often forget, like, it burns in your memory. And yeah. It does seem like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Polly... It was a very interesting character from the point of bereavement and grief that to her everything's so fresh yeah. and so raw and yeah. everyone else is like, yeah, it's a really long time ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, exactly. And, and that was really why I was interested in the time jump because it was a way to sort of animate an experience that tends to be more internal, right? Yeah. And that exists in our world, but I was interested in um, how could I make it kind of into a plot, into a story to really understand, I think, the, the yeah. paces of that kind of heartbreak um, because it's true, it never leaves you. you yeah. Know? And I think even if Polly had lost <clears throat> someone and then 17 years later, she would still feel that loss, I think, as intensely as when she jumps over yeah. those 17 years. And that's why I think there's also those other characters who have lost someone uh, in, the, in the real world in, in a bit longer period of time, but they also kind of can't let go. And, and I was really interested in, in offering different portraits of how people try to let go and, and sort of showing that everyone is kind of terrible at it, I yeah, think, in different yeah. ways. Yeah, so we were talking before about your own experiences of grief, but mm-hmm. um, what, what has been the biggest experience of grief that you've gone through? Right. <clears throat> I can't say that this was the biggest, but it was the most intimate. So um, in 2007, uh, I met somebody. Um, I started dating this person, Ryan, and uh, we were living in Toronto, and um, he was actually there temporarily, and I said, why are you here? And he said, well, my dad is sick, so I've come to help out. And I think at the time I thought, that was very sweet. <laughs> yeah, things. yeah. Um, Everything's sweet at the beginning. <laughs> oh, he does that. Oh, yeah. How nice. <laughs> well, it still was. Oh, but yeah. I think what became clear, um, the long we were together for, you know, after a few weeks, it wasn't a very long period of time, was that his dad was not only sick, but he was dying. Right. Um, and I think we'd known each other two or three months and had this sort of whirlwind courtship when his father actually went into palliative care. So <clears throat> I had actually, you know, like many people, I think by the time you reach your late 20s or your 30s, you've probably known actually, unfortunately, a lot of people who mm. either, you know, have left your life or have passed away. So, you know, I had grandparents who'd passed away. I had an uncle who died and a friend actually earlier that year had died um, in a hostile fire. Uh, but something about witnessing, mm. I think, the steps of someone dying and sort of doing the labor, I think, of death and, and watching this family go through it, it it sort of stayed with me in this strange way. And So um, what was your um what was your Ryan's dad's name? Eugene. Eugene. So, yeah. And was he did he have cancer? He or? had liver cancer, oh, which is um okay. 
a very bad one to get. Yeah, like the yeah, survival yeah. rate for liver cancer is very low. Um, and it was, and it's very sudden, you know, so he sort of found out that he had it and within the year um, he, he was gone. Wow. Um, but I think he had a very, he very much believed in the power of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't want his family to talk about the fact that he was dying or to talk about it in that way. And he was very sort of convinced that he was going to beat it. And they tried all these kind of alternative treatments, like they went to... I think this ranch in Tijuana, and they did all these different things. Wow. So when finally the doctor said, well, you know, it's time for you to move into palliative care, it was very shocking because that wasn't the conversations they'd been having. It wasn't what they'd been preparing themselves so for. So you think Eugene had kind of, you know, held in his head somehow some magic thing is going to happen. It's going to work, yeah. I mean, and he would say, I remember I went over to their house one evening and he was too sick to come down to the table, so he was upstairs and they had rigged up, this was before cell phones, so I can't remember, well, not that much before cell phones, but they had rigged up some way of him being over an intercom or something. Right, I can't yeah. remember, it was very cute. And he was saying, you know, next time you all come over, I'll, I'll be better and I'm going to cook for you, you know, and that was really his attitude. And so when he went into palliative care, I remember it just being... And again, this was someone that I didn't know very well, but the sense of how irreversible it was, it was just like I couldn't quite grasp it. It Mm. seemed so awful that it could be so irreversible in such a way that he was never going to come out of palliative care. So by palliative care, do you mean uh, a hospice? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was actually, it was a... a floor uh, in a hospital, right, in a quite okay. a famous cancer hospital. There's the floor where you go to die, essentially. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, so like I said, it was a strange thing because he wasn't someone I knew well, and I, I would say that I met him three times. Wow. Yeah, the first two times it was sort of in the house and maybe from a bit of a distance because also I was a new girlfriend. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the third time was actually when he was in palliative care and I went in to his hospital room because Ryan said, oh, my dad, you know, he wants to have a chat with you because I think they knew sort of at that point that yeah. he was going. And obviously this wasn't the situation under which he wanted to meet me, but it was our only chance. And, um, you know, he didn't look anything like his pictures or anything like that. He was very sick by that point. And, you know, I went into the room and he held my hand and he said, Taya, be brave. And uh, wow, something that sort of haunted me. Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't know. Because it was funny. It was sort of like we didn't yeah. have. W- it was a very intimate thing, and and you I didn't sort have of time for this. So how are you? Right. <laughs> yeah. Where are and your parents yes, from? And I know, yeah. and he couldn't really speak. Um, and uh, you know, and I sort of often thought to myself, it's very strange. I, I feel like I was maybe the last person he met. You know, which yeah. is an odd wow. kind of thing. And I, and I think it haunted me because I wondered, like, what did. Why did he say that? You know, what did he see in me? What did it what did it mean? You know, yeah, and, I, and yeah. I don't think now I look back at the time that was how I felt. Now I look back and I think that we were both just trying to figure out how to navigate this very strange yeah. moment that we knew that uh, we didn't have the basis right for a close relationship. And yet there was a deep closeness, I think, in being there yeah. as he died. And and then I was, and a lot of it was very odd because like I said, I was a, a brand new, I keep using the word odd to vary my <laughs> vocabulary, but um, <clears throat> I was someone who was very new to the family. And even though it was sort of very quick that, that my I, and I wound up marrying him, so my boyfriend at the time. But <laughs> Rita, I married him. <laughs> yes, uh, many <laughs> years later, I wound up marrying him. But it was a very you know off the bat. We knew it wasn't sort of we were just dating. Like we were quite serious about each other. And does Ryan but have brothers and sisters? He has an older sister. He has no older yeah, sister. Yeah. So how did and she also? 
had a wild and romance. Her, really? Yeah, her girlfriend was there, but they had been together a little bit longer. And Wow, so they'd yeah. both sort of found the person yeah. and gone, this is it, I'm going to settle in down. In a way, it was sort of, you know, it was very sad, but also very lovely that both myself and his sisters, she eventually wound up marrying her, that we both had the chance to meet Eugene, you know, yeah. to have some some connections. So it's sort of a weird magic that the universe brings yeah. you, I think. But it must have been hard for you to navigate a new relationship plus a new family mm. members mm-hmm. like oh hi I'm the new girlfriend yeah, yeah. and this is who I am I yeah. hope you like me oh and also someone's dying yes yes so it was and like I said there's no sort of there's not yeah. like an Emily Post handbook no no <laughs> that particular thing uh, I think in general culturally we're not very good with the etiquette of grief yeah um, yeah the funny thing, though, was that his family was actually extremely welcoming, his mom and his sister, because I think they worried about Ryan. And sometimes I think in families especially, there isn't a sense of how to talk to men, I think, yeah. about their grief. And and I think there was a sense that um, that I would sort of be there and he wouldn't be alone, you know. And so they were very welcoming to me. And I actually think it was harder for Ryan to be welcoming to me yeah. because I think there was a part of him that there's always a certain amount of drama at the beginning of a new relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a part of him that really wanted the space just to grieve his father. Yeah. But I was also there. So it was odd because I think he wanted me to be there, but he also didn't want me to be there. I was sort mm. of cluttering up his like psychic space in a way (laughs) yeah Yeah, no I can understand because it's such a huge thing to go through Mm -hmm. and you sort of are at your most vulnerable and I don't mean ugly but I mean like it's raw it's raw so like you may cry and have snot all over your face and and you don't want to be thinking god I hope this person (laughs) is like doesn't think I'm (laughs) an idiot hot right now yeah like you're still (laughs) trying to present a kind of nice version of yourself at the beginning aren't you like because um when my husband he lost his dad we'd be going out quite a while and mm-hmm. then his mum after we were married and um by then you know like you've you've seen everything yeah. like it's <laughs> it's done yeah it was fine yeah. so when you know we, someone's on the ball on the floor and just crying you're right. like yeah we've been this is fine yes. but yeah it must have been a pressure on him very much so and i think he's also the kind of person who would prefer to go through things on his own you know right, that's sort yeah. of his personality so it was it was very hard on him and it was very i think uh, difficult on our relationship. Was there any point where you just thought, God, this is a bit much? You know, like, I actually think, and we this is sort of a joke that we have, that we probably should have split up. Wow, yeah. yeah. That, it, that it probably would have been better if we had split up and if we had sort of gotten together later on. Because I think what wound up happening was he felt... It's, re- it's really interesting, isn't it? We have this idea that there's a correct way to grieve. And that's yeah. actually partly what my novel was about. And he really felt that he didn't have the chance to grieve correctly mm. and partly because he was like you know that day that you, there was a, a service for him a very beautiful service he was actually very well known in Toronto and it was massive there was actually a spillover venue wow. um, yeah um, and uh, and I think Ryan really felt I should have done my grieving that day mm. but I was I was me I was there <laughs> um, and they even his mom and his sister got me to go up on the stage at one point and but I think for Ryan he felt like I actually don't want you to be that involved in this yeah, I want my own yeah. space and so for a long time after I think for several years after he felt at first he just kept this inside but eventually he told me he was like I feel like I didn't get to grieve properly that mm. day because you were there and I think on the one hand I 
could be sympathetic to that, you know, yeah. and to say, yeah, I also think maybe I shouldn't have been so involved. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. maybe I should have been sitting closer to the back or something like yeah. that. Um, but then there was another part of me that felt that he was being quite hard on himself. Yeah. And that maybe no matter what, it would have been difficult to grieve that day. And how terrible it is that we give ourselves, we're like, yeah. this is my chance. You know, this is the grief holiday, this yeah. this funeral. And, uh, and, and this is my chance to grieve. And if I don't do it now, that's then, it. Yeah, yeah. because the, as more time passed, it's now this was the 10-year anniversary of his death. Um, I think Ryan realized, no, you know, like grief is a long process and there's many different, Yeah, I think, chances. But I think yeah. that, that Memorial Day and that funeral... I think it's the only day you're allowed to grieve very freely, I think. Maybe maybe this is unfair mm-hmm. to say, but especially perhaps as a man, like mm-hmm. if he'd cried and broken down mm-hmm. that day, no one would have been like, oh my God, yeah. what's wrong with him? Yeah. But equally, I think you're right. Like if you hadn't have been there, something else would have kept making people together. Perhaps. He would have been like, yeah. oh, my mum and sister are here. I think so. I have to be together for them. Yeah. Like, because yeah. it's like, you're yeah. just looking for a reason to be okay right yes to sort of not because it's such a painful experience yeah so holding it at a distance is and like my dad's funeral like I didn't break down and and dissolve Mm -hmm. in a way that I thought I would I was kind of together and talking to my friends and Mm -hmm. I laughed and because it is so public and Mm -hmm. something about the publicness I think means you sort of well for me anyway not everyone's the same but I was like oh I just feel like you're all in my bedroom <laughs> right <laughs> like I'm not gonna yeah. get I'm not gonna sort yeah. of like fall into a ball and cry and, it, and it's also very surreal I mean was your dad was it sudden when he passed yeah or? so he was um diagnosed in the February and then dead by April oh wow with oh my secondary liver cancer oh okay. so it was in the pancreas yeah. which is another right. yeah you don't want to get stinker <laughs> yeah <laughs> real bad yeah. guys oh my goodness um yeah. so yeah it was very quick mm-hmm. so I think also it feels you're, like it's not even happening. Yeah, How you're can in it really shock, be happening? definitely. Yeah. And especially mm-hmm. if someone has been... My dad was similarly, it's going to be fine, mm-hmm. we're going to beat this, mm-hmm. you know, together we can do this. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that funeral, you're sort of like... Oh, uh, I wonder where he is. Like, well, I think what I wonder it, if he's around the yeah, corner. Yeah. yeah, and it really feels like, and I guess this also sort of like inspired the sci-fi elements of my novel. It feels like a schism has opened up. Yes, and that person is just somewhere, somewhere else. Somewhere else, yeah. you know. And this is, and and we'll figure it out, and we'll, you know, we'll rejoin the timelines, and everything will be fine. You know, yeah. and it doesn't feel very real. That's the one thing I did feel with your novel that it was very um, tempting because. <laughs> In the novel, when um, this isn't this isn't too much of a spoiler, don't worry. You should still read it. But the fact that it was like they'd lost each other, yes, but somewhere they were alive, right? And I found that yeah. as someone who you know is like in the grief club, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's so tempting to right. have that in your heart. That yes, somewhere they are. Yeah, he's he's still they're there. Okay, I can yeah. find him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think the very strong sense that Polly has is this kind of magical thinking, where she's like, well. He's there, and I'm going to go and get him. But the reader, who may be a little bit wiser than she <laughs> is and who understands time <coughs> in a different way than she does because we haven't time jumped, might think, well, I'm sh- maybe he's still there, but it's been 17 years. Yeah, like, who yeah. is the person that he still is? And I was interested in that, too, like how time is a place and place is a time, yeah, you know? Yeah, um, I think what started to happen with, with Eugene and... and Partly, partly, I think why it became easier for Ryan to come to terms with the fact that I had been there was because he was able to sort of realize that wasn't my only chance to grieve, and there and this yeah. is this is a thing that will always be with me. But also because once our relationship became 
I, it was always serious, but I think once it became clear yeah. that we were going to be together, you know, for the rest of our lives, then I think we were both glad. I yeah. think that I was there and that I had the chance to go through that with him. Like I think, and I think I I do always feel kind of this shadow life, that alternate world, that schism. To me, he is still there in a very sad way because I never really did get the chance to know him, and yet he's such an enormous part of my life. You know, yeah. the, the shape of him is always there in his family. You know, in his absence. And then um, when my daughter was born, mm. I think we felt it intensely. Like, we actually wound up naming her after him. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because, it, yeah, there was Is the she sense that... Eugene? <laughs> no, so he... <laughs> It's sort of funny. We gave her his Chinese name, which is so he was born in, in Shanghai. And so Eugene is like an anglicization oh. of his Chinese name that he took on when he moved west. So we gave her his name. But um, in Chinese culture, it's not it's not done to actually to name children after other older family members because oh, yeah. you're messing with the generations. It's not right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I love that. I know. It's Guys, funny. it's a system. Yeah. Don't muck around know, with it. I know. They're not from the 40s. <laughs> right. Which is against, I mean, English culture is full of right. just name opposite. after everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite. So we gave her, it's the same sound, right? Uh, but a different word. So her is name that is... like the same kanji, or is that only in Japanese? <clears throat> it's the op- It's the it's it's a different character, right. but the same sound. Oh, okay. So like hair and hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so her name is Young. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, which actually, by chance... Uh, means brave, which I just realized now as I was talking to you. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, I just realized that connection. That's funny. Never crossed my mind before. Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. I spoke to um, an end-of-life doula uh, named Anna Lyons, and Mm -hmm. and she was saying yesterday, actually, she was saying you know, the person is still there, they're just not there physically. Hmm. And I found that really interesting because I think because I'm so afraid for my brain not to accept he's dead, that I'm Hmm. very like no, he's gone. He's yeah. dead. Oh, he's dead. To don't see it that yeah, way. don't yeah. get any hopes yeah. up. Yeah. But when she said it like that, I was like, oh, because she was like, they're still there emotionally. They're still there in memories. They're right. still there in the songs, the yeah. food, yeah. like the, yeah. the presence in that they're, mm-hmm. but just not there physically. Yeah. And I think that comes back to what you're saying that he is still very present yes. in the, in your world and yeah. once you have a child yeah. and yeah all that that brings well, with because it because she's his relation you yeah, know? yeah yeah and so part of him and I think yeah, in ways he was um, everyone always says he was like a real joker like yeah. he liked to play sort of practical jokes and she really has that <laughs> and she, from very early on she had that quality she has this funny little smile and I always sort of feel like that's perhaps a little bit of him or maybe even just you know Ryan is like that yeah. from him and, and so yeah um, and and I think yeah, it is <coughs> it is nice to sort of feel that that he's there. At the same time, it's it's a complicated thing for me to navigate because I never really knew him. Yeah. So I have this very strong sense of him, mm. and this always this uh, this feeling that that he is there. What would our lives be like if he was physically there? But at the same time, I didn't. You know, I n- I never really knew him like in a direct yeah. way. And um, you know, and so I, I have these thoughts to myself where. Um, this relation, the relationship that we have, is sort of through this hallowed lens, you know. But I always think, you know, a very common thing with your in-laws is to get annoyed with them. Yeah. So I always wonder, like, would I get annoyed with him? <laughs> like, yeah, what, what yeah. things about him would have annoyed me, mm. you know? And um, would he have been? What kind of grandparent would he be? Yeah. You know, would he be sort of doting? Would he be wacky? You know, like my mother-in-law is crazy about my daughter and. 
often lets her do dangerous things because <laughs> she's so crazy about her. Like, she'll be like, well, she wanted to play with this lipstick of incense. So I gave it to her, you know? And I sort of wonder, would he be like that? Or would he have been like, yeah. no, don't give her that incense? You know, and it's sort of these funny little things that happen. So, yeah, it's this funny thing where I do have this very strong sense of him and yet no sense of him and trying to sort of reconcile yeah. those two to each other. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Do you think, does Ryan ever said it, it's it's important to him that you did meet him those three times, even if it was briefly, like that there was that connection? He doesn't say that, mm. but I th- but I think it's it's clear. And I think also what I have a stronger connection to is the absence of him. Because yeah. so every year when the anniversary comes, you know, I think it's everybody deals with their grief in a different way. And I think what Ryan often doesn't want to deal with the anniversary, you know, so I think over the years it would often be, and for a while we were living in Texas away from his family. And so I would sort of be like, let's go and do something. Mm. You know, let's go for a walk in the park. Let's go to a restaurant that he would have liked or things like that. So um, it's it's funny because I feel like I sort of have become a part of, of that experience. Though something that was that was quite bad about it early on, and I don't know if you ever had this experience with your own loss, was that I think I s- sort of tried to micromanage Ryan's oh, grief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's very, very hard when a partner is grieving. Yeah. And I was, I think I, spoken, I have spoken on the show before that, you know, as someone who's like queen of the grief <laughs> with my own grief, <laughs> right. and then when it happened to my husband, yeah. I found it, very difficult right. and I was very surprised because I thought oh, I'm going to be fine with this mm-hmm. but actually I personally found it very triggering because it was like his deep upset reminded me of my deep of course, upset yeah. but also it's like as a partner and I think this isn't maybe not talked about or admitted enough of like it's hard it's hard to be around someone who's grieving because mm-hmm. they can be so bleak and sad you know the yeah. sadness that yeah. is like in their everything their yeah. pores are leaking sadness and mm. there's times as a partner you're like 
oh, I just want you to be happy. <laughs> I just want you to be okay. And like, how can I fix it? How can I yeah. make this okay? Yeah. Rather than, and yeah. it took me took me a really long time to just go there's nothing I can do right I just have to let you get yes. through this but yeah, yeah I definitely yeah. at the beginning was like right what should we do how can we do how can we yeah. get through it yeah so yeah how did you handle Ryan's well grief? I think so I think in the first year I think I was a real a-hole about it and, <laughs> and not not in the sense that I was sort of like I didn't have that feeling of like oh here no fun cheer up loser yeah. but more the sense that he wasn't doing it right you right, know yeah, that, like, yeah. Um, which is really common I think when you haven't had lo- haven't lost a parent mm-hmm. um, my mum spoke to me when her, she lost both her parents very quickly and my dad when he was alive was like oh I think you should do this and I think like cause he, <laughs> and he had both his parents yeah. and my mum said to him like you don't you don't know what it feels like yeah. but it's yeah. easy to think oh maybe you should be crying like this now <laughs> and, or, or I mean and I think oh, well there was a certain selfishness to it as well I think there there's an isolation in grief yes, you know it yes. keeps the people around you away from you and so I wanted him I can't even really exactly remember, but perhaps I wanted him to be more open or mm. I wanted... Yeah, I, d- I don't know. It was really awful, I think, what I did. I don't have many regrets in life, but I think that's that, that period is something that I do regret, that I think I really tried to get in there and be like, do it this way, you yeah. know? And, and I don't way? know why. And I, and I think it was also that idea of like, oh, I'll, I'll fix this. Oh, you know, like... Or even sort of not understanding some behavior as grief behavior. Yes. So, for example, like yeah. sleeping all the time and staying up all night playing video games, mm. you know, and like a certain amount of social withdrawal and all these things. And again, we hardly knew each other yeah. at that stage. Now that I know him, it's absurd to look back and realize how little I knew him. Yeah. And the intensity, I think, of what was happening and what we were going through. And I think he did it at periods in that time because I was taking up too much space, you know, yeah. trying to shake me loose. And sort of was unable to. And I think that's where that joke comes from. We're like, we really should have split up. <laughs> you know, like, poor guy. He really needed a lot of space. And I was very poor, I think, at, at, at giving it to him in any sort of way. And then I think at the same time <coughs> that his loss triggered in me kind of a lot of delayed or buried grief that I uh, had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's often yeah. what it is. When yeah. someone's in the first throes mm-hmm. of that rawness, mm-hmm. if you've got anything in you, right. you're like... Oh God! Right, that's how I feel. Yeah, but I get on with it and I hide it. Why aren't you hiding it? (laughs) Or I just the thing is, and I thought it was really interesting that on your show you prefer for it to be about a person because I think the issue that I had was that a lot of the grief I had wasn't about a person. Ah, okay, yeah. So and it and so the passing of Eugene it gave it sort of a figure for my grief to coalesce around, but also it was something that wasn't mine. Mm. Um, And so I was saying to you earlier that I have a short story that's coming out in a little while in, in Granta, <coughs> which is about a woman who, it used to be called, in much earlier versions, it was called Grief Pervert. <laughs> <laughs> because it's about this woman who has her own grief, but and she kind of cottons on to like this family who are going through a loss because she's trying to find a way to externalize her own grief. Yeah, yeah. And she can't really. Um, in, in the story, she's lost her sister. But for me, what it was, was... Um, my early life was uh, marked by a lot of moving. We moved sort of across the world many different times. And I think by the time I became an adult, I had this really strong sense of loss for ways of life, mm. I think, that were gone. Because when you leave a place, you lose not just that place, but also, I think, the life you had there. Yeah, all, yeah. all the sort of trappings that came with it. But that's, you know, that's a, a, a loss without shape. Yeah, It's difficult yeah. to talk to. It's di- talk about it. It's difficult to think about. Um, but I think it does get triggered because, mm. and often the way, especially if you do a lot of this moving, the way of managing is to not manage it. You yeah. know, it's just be like, well, you know, like carry on. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that's gone oh well yeah yeah yeah. and uh, what on to the next thing and especially I think when you're young you sort of have the sense of yourself as being very resilient Mm. and I was like a teenager and so his grieving kind of brought it up for you yeah it did it did and and a lot of other things that like I said my uncle had passed away my friend had passed away and all of these losses because of the nature of my life you know going back and forth and being all over the place happened very far away Mm. so there's something very different I think about someone losing someone who's a part of their daily life yeah yeah about that constant reminder and it was almost yeah like I was like uh, like greedy Mm. (laughs) of that grief you know of that understanding of being able to inhabit grief in that way because not only had I I lost people who weren't in my daily life so I could never really make sense of the loss like I always think my uncle he's still there I just haven't seen him in a few years you know um or those places like th- that, like I said, like that's like a grief that has no shape. All those places that I'd lost. So that th- it was, uh, I never had any proper way to kind of think about it or navigate it or a process through which. So yeah, there was a way I think that I was trying to be like, here's my chance. It's <laughs> <laughs> my chance to get it out. Weird way. Yeah. But also, do you think there was your thought of like, well, I don't have a shape to my grief, and I just kind of get on with it. And then here is this man who has a shape and is just in it. Like was I that wonder that wasn't yeah. a conscious thought, but that could have been. Yeah, yeah of like, oh, yeah. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't yeah. know you could just sleep and play video games right. and yeah, feel it in that yeah. way. Yeah. So there, I think there was almost something for me, and it's like yucky to say, but there was almost something for me that was therapeutic about being grief adjacent. Mm, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It was like. And like 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 we were saying earlier, it's it's as if there's this idea of when it's appropriate to grieve. Yeah. And for me, all those times had long passed. You know, my uncle had been gone several years. Uh, my friend was a friend who she was far away, so a lot of people in my life didn't even know I had lost somebody. Yeah. You know, and then all those places it would had had been nearly ten years since I'd stopped moving, and so suddenly, yeah, here was this sort of idea of he was a pause that yeah. he was in. And I could be in that pause with him mm. and maybe go through that. But you can't have somebody taking up your grief space. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, it's hard not to, I think, because often, like, when my husband was right in the throes of losing his mom, you know, the way he spoke, I couldn't help but be like, yeah, that's how I feel about my dad. And, yeah. you know, when we would talk about them and then you'd be like, both be sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, it's hard it's hard not to empathize because I think that's what we do as humans. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I do know mm-hmm. how that feels. So this is mm-hmm. how I feel when this happens yeah. and that's how you connect with each other. And I suppose it's interesting because kind of, it's kind of, they become almost, which is, I think relates to your book, they become these sort of magical people. Yeah. They're in this moment that they yeah. have no control over whereas the rest of the world and, and you, one, at that time is like getting on with it and powering through yeah. and but they're so overwhelmed right. especially just after someone's yes, died yes, yeah. and they become not part of the human world mm-hmm. which is why they feel so isolated because they, you know, they are they are yeah. on the other side of a river going I don't know how you all act like yeah. we're all going to die, like yeah. why are you all just carrying on like yeah. this doesn't happen and, you, and I think you, when you have experienced loss mm. And you work so hard, I think, every day to be like, it's fine. It's fine. You know, yeah, everyone yeah. dies, but it's fine. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. To see someone who's sort of torn away the veil mm. and they're in that space, you sort of want to be there with them because you're like, it's not fine. Yeah. It's not fine. And you want to go back to that place. Yeah. Um, and it's a very harsh realization, I think, because you do think, oh, God, it's not okay when someone dies. It is, mm-hmm. it is abhorrently painful. No. And. And there they are literally living it. Like I said, it just leaks out of them. It's like everything about their energy and their Mm -hmm. being is Mm -hmm. this just 
I'm so sad. How yeah. does it? Why did this happen? And you're yes. like, oh god, that's life, and I don't have any yeah. answers. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I think at the same time as you want to go there because you're like, oh, that feels like a truer reality. Yeah. I want to spend time with them in that place. At the same time, because you've gone through it, you feel well. I want to cure it. Yeah, you know, and I think yeah. that's where that idea comes from. You, of course, you want to be empathetic, and and I think I would say things to him. He would tell me, and I'd be like, oh yes, I know exactly what that's like, mm. and I would try to sort of repeat back to him maybe things that I would have wanted people have s- to have said to me if I'd been able to be open in my grief, and then if those things didn't magically make him be like, oh, I feel better now, <laughs> I'd be like, hmm, why didn't it work? Yeah, you know. And some people have kind of fixer personalities, I think, yeah. to a certain extent, with especially people who I'm very close to. I have yeah. that personality, you know? Yeah, I definitely do as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real fixer. And yeah. it, I would say it took me probably six months to a year to stop trying to fix him, hmm. I think. And did that cause you conflict? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely did. It definitely mm-hmm. did. And then, um, yeah, there was, you know, huge rows and when they're grieving as well and it was so interesting to be on the other side having mm-hmm. been the griever for right. so long yeah. you've it's really interesting and I think this is worth remembering if you, if you are grieving and people seem like they're being rubbish it's mm-hmm. like you're such a mess when you're grieving mm-hmm. you're so angry mm-hmm. and sad like you're so full of emotions that it is really hard to have conversations mm-hmm. with them and it is really hard to rationalise and everything comes back to the grief so it can yeah. be quite like oh, I was just making a comment about the washing up. I wasn't saying, Mm. you know, that it's fair that your mum died. (laughs) (laughs) But everything gets turned into that. And yeah, we had a lot of rows. And then I think it just took me a long time. I can't remember what clicked, but I think I just got fed up and was like, this is, because I'm a fixer. And I was like, well, this isn't working. So I need to fix myself. So I was like, what am I doing wrong? I finally accepted it wasn't his fault. (laughs) And I just thought, oh, I just need to just accept it. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing happened with us, I think that actually after I stopped, he got quite frustrated because he was like, why aren't you trying to help anymore? (laughs) Oh. And I was like, oh my. Yeah. And then I had to sort of, it was quite a big turning point because I had to be like, I can't. And he was sort of like, what do you, but Mm -hmm. that's, I've been hoping you would fix me. I've been telling you it's all wrong. Right. But I've been sort of hoping you're going to, you're going to get there. And when I was like, I'm not, I'm never going to get there. Like you have to do it. And then he was like, oh God, (laughs) I have to do it. And I was like, yeah, you have to pull yourself through this. I can't, I can't do it. And that's not to say there's a pressure or a time limit on it. But I think that realization which is hard with a partner because you know you love them so much and you so many things you go through together mm-hmm. to understand like like you said that grief space is entirely theirs mm-hmm. and you cannot go through yeah. it but you actually really can't go through yeah. it with them yeah. you just you can be there you can wave from the other side of the river and mm-hmm. be like keep going yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think you're doing great yeah. but you actually can't no like make them swim across it yeah and I think what I had to do was to separate my grief mm. from his yes and yes. to start to understand because I, I had poor self-awareness of why I was doing what I was doing you know and it's funny because at the same time as I wanted to be in that grief space with him it was also a way of staying away from my own yes it was like simultaneously two things you know like yeah to sort of get all that that good grief juice but then also to be like this is about you it's not about me yeah and I think for me I was able to get out of his space Mm. and, and and a little bit more I think give him that space that he needed when I was able to be like oh I I'm as upset, you yeah. know, about all these things, and these are things that I need to actually accept that I, you know, that I carry these things with me that I, I haven't metabolized them yeah. and that I don't feel okay about them, 
and I have to start to think about that mm. on my own, you know, yeah, and let yeah. him do what he's doing and go and do what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's a very <laughs> good advice for relationships that you, you can't fix them. Mm-hmm. You can just go, oh, what is this reminding me of? Right. It's reminding me of me. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't Something's I, you can fix yeah, yourself. You can go, go do that. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mm-hmm. went to therapy not that long after that actually mm-hmm. I think and it was funny because I was really like you need counselling you need counselling like to him yeah. and then I was like oh god I need yeah. counselling <laughs> like I know oh no, no. Yeah. I know and it, it was is. funny because I think that was that was one of the ways that I did try to micromanage Ryan's group to be like you should go talk to somebody yeah um and then he did, and it wasn't any good. You know, oh. sometimes you f- you it's not a good fit. For yeah. He saw actually several therapists, one after the other, who <laughs> made him feel worse. Oh, so, no. You know. But I think the most wonderful thing you can realize about grief, this is a horrible thing to realize, but maybe a wonderful thing, but that it's forever. Yeah. Yes. Know? Stop fighting it. Yeah. I definitely had that. I was like, well, when is this over? Mm-hmm. And the fight is like, well, when am I going to feel better? Yeah. And it's like, you will, but it's never going to go away. And I think as a Reaver, you think well eventually mm-hmm. I'll hit the right time or no. I'll do the right thing and yeah. it'll just go no it's like mm-hmm. they'll always be your dad yeah so yeah. that's you know yeah. that they don't stop being your dad or no. stop being your parent mm-hmm. so of course the grief doesn't just go you just learn to live with it yeah you learn to manage it mm-hmm. and you know talk to someone or not talk to someone mm-hmm. or figure out how you feel about it but yeah mm-hmm. it, it is forever definitely yeah. yeah and you don't have to have that sense like I've got to sort this out now you yeah, know yeah. Um, because you have the rest of your life I think which yeah. is awful because I think you want to think like oh like it'll it'll be gone yeah but it's also I think it's a it's a comfort <coughs> um, in a way and you realize that this is just always with me now you know in the way that that like you said that I think Eugene is still always with us for me in these sort of funny ways and and for his family members in these very true ways you know yeah. never goes away so when did you start writing the book uh, was it soon after he died so or? it was I had the idea like I, I became really obsessed I think with bereavement I right. became really fascinated by it and it's funny because I keep saying this in uh, in interviews and maybe Canadian journalists are just very polite, but nobody ever asked me why. So I'm oh, glad that yeah, I got yeah. away with it. I'm always like, yeah, I was really interested in grief, and no one's ever like, why? <laughs> why? Yeah, apart from this <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ooh, so I'm, what happened? I know. I'm putting my cards on the table, finally letting it out. Yeah. But um, so I became really fixated, specifically on that idea that um, that everybody has experienced some awful loss. Yeah. And yet we all behave as if. We haven't, yeah. you know. And all the time, I think I, y- you always have friends who are sort of in a, a bitter frame of mind, and they're like, everyone's having a great life, and I'm having an awful life. But the truth is that everyone has something mm. horrible that they're carrying that they just, you know, they just keep getting on the bus, yeah. and they just keep feeding their cat, you know. And and I was really um, fixated and fascinated, and both sort of fascinated and horrified by that. Like, how do we just keep acting as if everything is fine? And also, I was interested in the place of love within mm. all of that. Like, we keep acting like everything's fine. Not only do we keep feeding our cats, we keep falling in love, even yeah. though we know it's such a dangerous thing to do, you know? That's interesting. Like, we understand, th- when you understand the depths of loss, you know what you yeah. might be getting yourself into if you yeah. become attached to someone, and yet we keep doing it. So, so that was what I really started to think about. And I took several runs at it, and so it's kind of funny, the short story that I mentioned that's coming out in Grant is actually something I wrote before the novel. Ah, wow. Yeah, so it's, it's been hanging around for a long time, and it was something that I kept tinkering with. Um, and it has very similar themes, though expressed in a more 
um, sort of acerbic way yeah, right, okay. <laughs> um, than in my novel. Uh, and so eventually, I think it was, I guess it was about, yeah, it would have been about three years after he passed away that I started writing the novel, right. which was very much, I think, not so much necessarily about his death, but about everything. Yeah, <laughs> Like what yeah. his death brought up, I think, in me, which was this sense that you never stop wanting to be the same to be more like more in more than one place and more than one person at once. You yeah. know, you always are sort of chasing these former lives that have been lost to you. And even if we had time travel, we still would never be able to shake that feeling, you know, that it, eternal yeah. sense of loss. Yeah, it doesn't so there is no magic solution. No. And I think it's yeah, it's really interesting in the book there is this option to go anywhere yes you know and yet there's still all these problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah just as just as now right i mean i think yeah. like a thousand years ago if people had airline travel they'd be like well then all our problems would be solved yeah, but, but no yeah. you know there's still these enormous i think fissures in everyday life i think it's interesting you talk about the grief of places because um that's very prevalent in the book that you know she goes back to the town that mm-hmm. she's from 17 mm-hmm. years on mm-hmm. and it's completely different mm-hmm. and I think we can it's all, gone. Yeah, yeah it's gone and mm-hmm. we can all relate to that feeling when mm-hmm. people keep saying I like the bit in the book people kept saying it's here it, look out the window it's <laughs> yeah, here it's and there. she's like it's not there Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not yeah. my it's buffalo isn't it it's yeah. just like it's not yeah. buffalo it's yeah. not it's something else and that actually comes from my experiences of growing up in Singapore which is a place that changes at breakneck speed yeah, yeah. so I would uh, be gone a few years and I would come back and uh, take the subway somewhere and I would get off and I'd go up to the street level and I think did I get off at the wrong stop I'd wow. have to recheck the signs because I couldn't recognize the neighborhood God. at all so it's a really interesting concept when you relate that to people of like they're mm-hmm. gone that mm-hmm. is, is it yeah. like mm-hmm. you said, it doesn't mean they're not with you in the other ways but physically and literally they are yeah that that person that place is gone and here we are searching for it I know and I wonder when a place is gone it it's it seems like it is gone not in the way that when people are gone they're still there like I I feel like those places that are gone they're really gone especially if they were for me so for example the the Singapore of the 90s that I grew up in um, I feel like that place is really gone Mm. because it also is a personal thing it's a place that existed within your mind you know and Kazuo Ishiguro actually has a really beautiful um, thing that he wrote about that in his uh, when he won the Nobel Prize he gave a lecture and he talks at length about the reason why he wrote um, his first novel is because he was born in Japan and he left when he was five um, and uh, he found himself sort of very furiously writing about Japan which he'd never really done up until the mm. point when he started that novel and he realized that what he was trying to do was to put his Japan as he called yeah. it right? this idea that he had of this place down on paper and that at least then he could say, well, it's there, mm. you know, like I've put it somewhere and I've captured it, you know, and uh, it'll be safe there. But I think that's really true of people. Mm-hmm. As someone who's lost my dad, mm-hmm. I think I spend my life trying to capture my dad. Mm-hmm. So my he'll be version somewhere. Of him. He'll exist yeah. somewhere. And mm-hmm. like this podcast, you know, <laughs> I talk to different people every week, but I'm still, I'm always talking about my dad. Yeah. And that's not my brother's dad that's not my mum's husband oh, it's you know what I mean it's like yeah. that's my yeah. version of him yeah. that I am trying to capture right. because yeah. he's gone yeah. he is gone yeah. and you that's know it's really interesting because I always think that when you're in a family you have a shared experience of someone and that's almost what keeps them afloat and I guess that's what I was saying about the places that I feel like my Singapore only belong to me yeah. and so it, it can't have 
presence anywhere else in the world. But I guess you're right that we do have these very particular relationships to the people that we loved. And even if you're your brother also had him as a dad. It's not the same thing. It's not. And you have a shared experience. And I can say to my brother, oh, do you remember when he did this? And we can both laugh. Yeah. But you might even have different memories of him yeah, doing that. You, yeah. Everyone has different memories. Mm-hmm. And we can't... Oh, my God. Ask If you have siblings, you the easiest way to start an argument is like, do you remember? Because they're like, that's not what that's happened. That's funny. My sister and I have a joke that I cover the first 10 years. Uh- <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> my sister covers the first 10 years, remembers that, and I remember all the rest. Right. So we've divided. Yeah. So if I ever think that something happened in the first 10 years, and my sister's like, no, that's not what happened. It's just because yeah. I'm like, well, I'll defer to you. That's <laughs> Exactly. She, she <laughs> so, could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just her memory of it. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if you think about parents, like, they have very different relationships with all their children. Yes. Yeah. There will be similarities, of course, but they're they're only your parent to you in the way that they are because that's, you know, the nature of relationships. Right. It's those two people. Yeah. And when you're alone, that's not the same as when the other people are alone. Yeah. So yeah, like my version of my dad is yeah, very different mm-hmm. to my brothers and obviously my mum's experience of, as him as a husband and yeah, I think I really understand what you're saying about Singapore because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I feel about my dad of like trying to trying to I think that's a very create a creative person's answer to it of mm-hmm. like if I can nail it down if I can write them down then they're there at least they're there there yeah like at least maybe you have this like Singapore's there on that paper right and somehow it did it's real and it did happen yeah so I think otherwise you feel that's, a bit crazy yeah I know but it's funny because um I'd love to meet Kazuo and ask him yeah, <laughs> whether yeah, or not yeah. he really did then feel, okay, this place is safe. Because even though the writing of my whole novel was animated by the sense of, like, how do we love when we know that everything ends, I don't think that the writing of the novel answered any of those questions. Yeah, well, and I, and I yeah, think yeah. I sort of joke that, you know, writers don't write about the things they have the answers to. They write yeah. about the things they don't understand to sort of, like outsource the problem onto other people but yeah, but I don't yeah I think that's I'm true. not I don't sure think that I've an- I don't think I've me. answered it no. no and it hasn't cured yeah. me <laughs> but yeah. it's like what drives you I yeah. suppose because I'm still doing this podcast I'm still yeah. talking about him it's mm-hmm. not like I've gone oh but there he is yeah sorted yeah because <laughs> yeah. you're always changing so your relationship mm-hmm. to the memory always changes yeah. yeah and that's a big thing with grief like you said you know you just had the 10 year anniversary like the way that grief changes in 10 years is huge mm-hmm. um, and also not like mm-hmm. also you can completely remember that sadness but well, you've changed the person yeah. or you've become a parent yeah. and yeah. you know all of those things one, one thing so my, my friend who died uh, I guess we both were 25 when she died and it was really awful she was um, in Chile and there was a, a fire in a hostel and oh, she died my yeah that's awful yeah I mean so she always would sleep on her passport mm. and her passport was intact and so what they said that meant was that she must have just died in her sleep so that was sort of I think a comfort yeah. to her family but I think at the time when she died we all said she loved to travel travel and so we all said um, oh uh, you know she died doing something that she loved yeah. and we talked a lot about all the things she she had a very short life but she'd done so many things and how many people she touched and and then when I started to think about s- her death, so last year was the 10-year anniversary of her death, yeah. in terms of grief changing, it was like I suddenly had the space to not need to make it sound mm, all right, yeah, you know? Yeah. And now I feel like it was it's awful. Awful. Yeah, it's awful. awful. There's nothing good about it, you know, yeah. especially I think now being a little bit older and thinking she probably would have 
wanted to have gotten married, she probably would have wanted to have a family. She had just started her teaching career and she loved teaching, you know, what would she have done? And now I just feel like there's nothing, there's nothing good yeah. about her death. Of course she had a good life and she was a wonderful person and I'm glad I knew her, but it's a, it's a tragedy and nothing, yeah. and that's nothing okay. takes that away. That's yeah, okay. but I don't think I could have had that thought at the time yeah. that it was so bleak and mm. it was such the finality and the horror of the loss. Um, I just couldn't have thought about it that way I needed to think about it as like oh well you know she was yeah. doing what she loved you know? and it's so common and you know when my dad died everyone was full of he would have hated to be ill for so long it's good it was quick right. it would have really upset yes. him you know he would have hated <laughs> it would taste it and we yeah. were all like yes yes yeah. and yeah. then again years later I was like well I I actually don't think he would have minded because yes. we would have been around and we would have had longer. more time yeah but yeah mm-hmm. it's that when something is so awful you have to that power of language you know you twist the narrative and yes. you say yeah. no it was a good ending yeah. yeah, look everyone it's happy it's happy yeah. and then it's you, the story you need yeah, yeah it's the story your brain needs yeah. to, to carry yeah. on getting up and feeding the yeah. cat yeah and then I think over time your brain toughens up or something mm. like that and you're able more to to I think live in the reality of what really happened so um, did she die the same year as your father-in-law the almost a, exactly a year apart. A year apart. Yeah, almost a year. So yeah. she was the year before. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> interesting, isn't it? That, that, that is I talk about him, but not about yeah, her. Yeah, that is really yeah. interesting yeah. that that grief was obviously so... And it is difficult when someone young dies, and mm-hmm. that isn't an easy narrative. And it was very difficult to think about um, her. She, she was from Vancouver. We had mm. actually met, very funny, in England. And then we'd both been living in the same province, the province of Ontario, when we were undergrads. And so we'd see each other often. But the service was in Vancouver because that's where her family was. And uh, I didn't wind up going to the service, which I always sort of regret that that would have helped me to make more sense of it. And the funny thing is that I've kept in touch with her parents and one of her best friends who I never met before she died. uh, But we, we keep in touch and... Um, you know, they send me Christmas cards and stuff like mm. that. And for a long time, I thought I kept in touch with them because it was a nice thing to do. Mm. You know, I was like, oh, you know, like I feel badly for their loss. But now, I don't know, it's so funny. The things you tell yourself, it's so yeah. weird. Now I'm like, obviously, I kept in touch with them because I needed to keep, because yeah, it, it was something for me, for me too. Yeah. I wasn't just being like such a nice young yeah, person, you know. Yeah. Like, and I think it was easy. Another thing I told myself was, because we had been quite young when we were friends and I have a lot of friends from that time who I don't keep in very close touch with yeah. so I think I sort of well you know she would have been a friend of my of my youth we would have lost touch anyways yeah. but I, who knows who knows you know yeah. so yeah it, it was something that was impossible to make sense of because it didn't make sense yeah. you know um, and also like I said not having her as part of my everyday life never having gone to the service uh, but again you know it's something that it always it's sort of always above you it's like always in yeah, your yeah. in your atmosphere it never leaves you and i think with we've talked about in the show when grief with friends it can be very difficult to feel like you're allowed to be upset because they're a friend and you're, yeah. you're you're removed from that family yeah. so I guess when Ryan lost his dad it's like oh this is o- this it grief is, okay. is legitimate yeah, I can go here my yeah. grief is well it's fine yeah. it happened these things happen no. the same thing with uh, <laughs> there was a lot actually with my uncle who had passed away and I guess he had passed away almost exactly a year before her. Wow. And he, it was very awful. I mean, he uh, had a, t- a terrible drinking problem. Um, and I think I'm actually still not even entirely sure how he died. It was either um, because uh, I think, yeah, I think it was just complications to do with having drunk so much. But he was at, at home, in his own home. And, and I'm pretty sure he died alone. Um, and... Uh, 
that's impossible to make sense of, mm. really, just for someone to die in such an awful way. He was very young, and he was my mother's favorite brother, you know. And so I think also feeling, and that's not something that she really talks about. Mm. And I think I definitely have sort of an intense relationship with my mother, and that was almost too much. Yeah, like, to yeah. sort of, to understand that she had gone through such a unthinkable loss, you know, and it's just almost like our entire family is just like, well, let's just not think about that one, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just too much. So as awful it was when Eugene died, and he was quite young, he was 60, um, at the same time, it was a better death yeah. than all those other deaths, which is not a very nice thing to talk about, but I do feel no, that I there are yeah. better deaths, Oh my you goodness, know, there are better ways to go. Yeah. yeah, and to be around... Mm -hmm. A family that love you. Yes, and all of his family members, they lived in different places, but they all came to see yeah. him, and so he got to say goodbye to everyone. So it was almost like the safe death, mm. <laughs> you know, or the safe kind of loss um, that I could start to piece together, yeah. you know, and that could help me to make sense of, of the other losses I'd had, which were horrifying in their own ways. Um, but... I, but then again, it wasn't my loss, you know. <laughs> so but I think it's of, totally understandable. Yeah. It sounds to me like you had these two very confusing and traumatic mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, really, really sad deaths mm -hmm. that I think even when you have, like, yeah, a sort of more normal death of, like, oh, my dad died of cancer, it's, like, it's so overwhelming. And I went into shock, I would say, for 20 years, right. <laughs> you know, because I was mm -hmm. 15. Mm -hmm. I think I just went, I just can't deal with this. So yeah. I'm going to put it over here. And I'm going to carry on because mm -hmm. I just cannot get my head around what the fuck just happened. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when your partner is going through that, it's like, oh, I can, these tears are coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is my grief. And, but I, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I no. think that's how we help each other. Yeah. And funnily enough, like, you, you married, married mm -hmm. him because somehow you were able to recognize the place he was in. Yeah. And I think that can be quite important for people who are grieving if your partner has had no experience of it at all. Well, I mean, who has no experience of it? But if your partner is like, no, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> My grandparents said I'm fine. Like, yeah. it can be really important to recognize the state they're in and yeah. then have to recognize the state that perhaps, like you said, that you're yeah. in. Yeah. Because to have that death, like, just the year before and then walk into that, that mm -hmm. must have been... Yeah, I'm sure at the time you were like, this is completely different. But <laughs> yeah. of course, of course yes. it's going to influence no, that. I think it was all, it was all there. It's funny, too, you saying that it must have been okay because we got married because we used to sort of say like we got married in spite of how terrible the beginning yeah, of our relationship yeah. is but I think something we haven't revisited recently at all is how did it maybe actually help us yeah. because at the time it did really feel like an awful kind of toxic relationship yeah. because we became so codependent and it was we had to sort of break those habits in order to in the end have like I think a nice relationship but I do have to wonder like how did it bring us together in a way yeah. like if we still if we hadn't gone through that awful experience and yeah. had that really rotten relationship <laughs> with each other for a few years would we have gotten married I don't, I don't know well also yeah. you kind of did it backwards we did I think exactly. most people like yeah. they have the nice bit and mm -hmm. then something happens mm -hmm. and you're really you, you see the true colours of that person mm -hmm. but you kind of like saw them straight away <laughs> this is him at his but worst with no context with, yeah. with no context to make any no. sense of it there but he nonetheless, is completely yeah. vulnerable and here yeah. am I dealing with my own grease completely yeah. vulnerable yeah. and I think yeah if you can get through that mm -hmm. you're fine maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Daya, Ocean of Minutes is available to buy now, yes, I'm guessing, from yes, all good books. Everywhere, yes. It's an amazing book and it, oh, thank you so it much. is very I found some passages really tough just because I think you write about grief and some and loss 
very well. So there were some bits I was like, oh god, <laughs> oh god. But um, sorry about that. No, but in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, because I think um, yeah, in a good way. Yeah. In a in a resolving way. In a yeah. way that narrative helps. So yeah, yeah I def- highly highly recommend it. Oh, and thank um, you so thank much. you so much for coming to talk oh, to me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. You can follow Taya on Twitter at Taya underscore Lim, that's T-H-E-A underscore L-I-M. And her book, An Ocean of Minutes, is available to buy in paperback now. You can follow us on Twitter at The Griefcast and on Instagram at The Griefcast and you can email thegriefcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please do rate and review and subscribe. It helps other people find us. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And the music is provided by the Glue Ensemble. I'm very tired. I'm sorry. I know I say it every week, but I've managed to uh, muck it up about five times. What I won't forget to say is, remember, you are not alone. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 